What we're going to talk about today will literally save you hundreds or even thousands of hours over the course of your business ownership journey, not to mention countless instances of frustration, aggravation, and disappointment. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. So we all know that developing, documenting, and improving processes and procedures are some of the very most important things for us to do to create, sustain, grow, and gain freedom from a very successful business. There's basically three ways to go about this. Two of them are incredibly difficult and time-consuming, and one is much easier and dramatically more efficient. Unfortunately, most business owners unknowingly choose one of the two hard ways virtually every single time. So, again, when it comes to creating, documenting, improving processes and procedures, here are the three ways. You can take the random approach. Now, generally speaking, processes and procedures are developed and documented randomly. This is the number one way I see people do it. And here's kind of how it goes. There's a failure of some sort. Like we really screwed up and let a customer down. Or we introduced our company to a major risk or liability. Or we created a situation we never want to experience again. Therefore... We're going to create a create or document a process or procedure to prevent this from ever happening again. Whatever this was, it was so bad. I don't ever want this to happen again. Now we're going to create a procedure or we're going to, we're going to, you know, figure out a process or whatever. So to be clear, when I say process, processes are generally undocumented. Procedures are generally documented. So you have a very well-established process that's not documented. Therefore, it's not a procedure, but if it is documented, and it covers basically, the, you know, the six questions, I think it's six questions, who, what, when, where, why, and how, um, that would be a procedure. So sometimes people kind of use those terms um, interchangeably. That's not really how it's supposed to be. A process is not documented generally, but well-established uh, in most cases, not all cases, like falling off a bicycle is a process. Falling downstairs is a process. You know, the processes aren't necessarily always things with positive outcomes. Procedures, though, are documented. So when I say process, procedure, that's what I mean in the difference there. Um, generally speaking, though, process and procedures are developed and documented randomly because of a failure. As I was saying, like this thing happened or it's happened a few times recently or it happened one time and it was really ugly. The consequences were really bad. I don't ever want to deal with that again. So almost every business I've ever been exposed to, let alone works with, works for, whatever, any business I've ever been exposed to just about operates this way. This method largely contributes to that feeling for business owners of being on the business owner hamster wheel. I'm working my butt off. I'm doing lots of things, but I'm not making much progress overall. So if you ever have that feeling, look at how you handle these, this uh, idea of developing processes and, and documenting procedures. You feel like you're on that hamster wheel, like you're working your butt off, you're not making a lot of progress. Take a look at that. There's also the bottom-up method, which is, 
We're going to work on getting wins under our belt on small things and then work our way up to big problems as we get better at problem solving. Sounds great in theory. Especially when people say things like, we just don't have the luxury of setting aside big chunks of time to take on big problems. So we take, uh, we set aside small chunks of time and do what we can in a reasonable amount of time to get things done. And someday, hopefully soon, we can start working on these bigger picture things. We'll be able to do that when we get more people hired, when we get that critical role filled. If I just had an operations manager, if I just had an accounting manager, if I just had this person, if I had that uh, supervisor in the, in the field or whatever it is, get that critical role filled. We'll be able to do that kind of stuff. Or when time is less of a constraint, when you have more time, we'll be able to do those kinds of things. When our team is better trained, which is one of the most ironic statements I've ever heard, we'll have more time once our team gets trained. But we can't train our team until we get more time. That might, if, if you've ever said something like that or you hear somebody say something like that, like, just stop, stop. Realize that like the, the time has to be created for training. The training will create, will free up more time later on. So I don't want to get on a tangent there, but that is one of the things I hear pretty regularly that is just absolutely nonsensical. Um, predictably, and I mean with like, again, I'm not hyperbolic in most cases, but this is very predictable. High 90 percentile for sure. Someday never comes. We never find that time. The magic number of people are never, are never hired. That critical role is filled and another critical role is needed before we have time. Our team doesn't get better trained magically overnight. Those things don't happen. This method creates a feeling of hopelessness and overwhelm. Like, I know I got these massive things to get it done. Oh my gosh, I just, I don't have time, but someday I'm going to do it. And it's just this, this anxiety and this, this overwhelm that just kind of gets built up and built up and built up. And um, so if you have that feeling, maybe take a look at your, your, your way that you're doing processes and procedure implementation or development or documenting or whatever. No matter what that catalyst people are waiting for to make big leaps towards big leaps forward just never happen. And there's uh, seemingly, like I said, an infinite number of procedures I will have to write someday. And that's going to take forever. Like it just, it creates this feeling like this, this massive, huge problem that's just insurmountable. Uh, we don't have to look at it this way. Uh, the method I implement and teach, which I just call a top-down method, I'm sure that more sophisticated and smarter people than me have developed better names for this stuff. I just call it the top-down man- uh, method. And I want to just you know ask you to stop for a second and think about like which one do you think is yours before? And I'll you know, as I explain the third one, uh, see if this is yours. For for most companies, it's the first one. For most companies, it's firefighting. We had a problem. We have a history of having the same problem. Therefore, we're, putting, we're going to put a procedure in place. That's almost always how it is. Um, a few people will do the the bottom up, which is we take care of small problems first and work our way up to big ones because we're going to have that magical number of people we're going to hire that's going to solve all our problems and we'll be able to take on these big things. And then the third one is what I teach, which is here's a very simple uh, explanation of the top-down strategy I teach. The first thing is educating our people about the overall goal. Second thing is Make sure they know, and if they don't know, teach them, why does this matter? Why does this goal matter? The third thing is train them on specific actions, behaviors, objectives, skills, whatever, that are necessary to achieve the goal, but they, they currently don't have. They don't have the skills in some things, and they got to be trained. Fine. That's step three. And the fourth one is then create processes and document procedures for those specific tasks and actions that are not instinctively or naturally performed by the employees. 
So let me give you a couple of uh, super simple examples in like real life away from business. And then we'll, we'll kind of dive into a little more. And I'll give you a business example here in a little bit. First one is just imagine taking your kid to the park and it's chilly. It's a, it's a November, it's a November, um, Saturday and you live somewhere, you know, where it's chilly in the winter, but you want to take your kid to the park and you say, Hey, it's cold out, but we're going to go to the park. Naturally, they're probably going to put on a coat. They're probably going to put on some warm shoes. Now, you might have to remind them to zip up their coat, but they instinctively know the bulk of the correct actions to take because they understand the overall idea of what's going on. Uh, another one, uh, if you're going on vacation, imagine, th- this is going to sound ludicrous, but I want you to think about how the parallels and how we operate our business in this ludicrous example I'm going to give you. Imagine packing a suitcase with your spouse for a vacation without first identifying where you're going. That sounds crazy. Would you pack a swimsuit? Well, it depends. Are you going to Iceland or are you going to the Caribbean? How many clothes are you going to pack? Well, hard to say if you don't know how long you're going. If you know you're going to Hawaii for 10 days, you will instinctively know to pack warm clothes or, you know, clothes for warm weather. Might you also create a checklist to to prevent forgetting something? Absolutely. But you would get the overwhelming majority of the packing right because you have a clear understanding of what's happening. Maybe you forget to take your snorkel and you catch it with your checklist. That's absolutely possible. But you wouldn't likely catch yourself packing a bunch of cold weather mountain climbing gear to go to Hawaii. That's not well. I guess if you're gonna, I guess you if you're gonna climb one of the fourteen thousand foot tall mountains, there, I guess you would. Uh, but barring that, if you're if you're like in the one tenth of one percentile of people who do that, then and you wouldn't likely catch yourself um, heading to the beach but packing mountain climbing gear. I guess is my point. So when you face a performance challenge, a failure, or a situation that you don't want to go through again. The default move should not be to write a procedure. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but just follow me here. The first step should be to make sure the team understands the goal. What are we trying to accomplish? What's the journey we're taking the customer on during this encounter? What's the risk we're trying to avoid? What benefit are we trying to produce for the customer or our coworkers? Or what need for the company are we addressing? The next step is to make sure they understand why this goal matters. If they don't know, which sometimes it's with this one, almost always it's like, ah, well, that makes perfect sense after you explain it to them, but they don't necessarily get it intuitively. It doesn't mean they're not capable of understanding it. Of course they are. In almost every case, they're they're fully capable of understanding it. And in almost every case, it's like, ah, well, that makes perfect sense. Of course, that's the way it is. Of course, that's why this is in place. But they don't naturally think about those things uh, intuitively. And we've talked about this stuff. The example I use all the time, and you guys are probably trying to tired of hearing about this, but it's a, it's the, the almost ideal example, which is the texting and driving thing. They probably don't connect the dots on that. The, the driving the vehicle is the number one liability people, companies with a fleet of vehicles have, they don't connect the dots. And if you ask what the, what the three most important things that they do are, uh, safety and, and accident prevention would not be one of them. So they don't get why you're harping on them about texting and driving. But when you go, listen, if we can't get insurance, we don't have a company. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Now I get it. Doesn't mean you're going to get 100% compliance, but at least they get it now, right? And they will, you'll get more compliance if they get it than you will if they don't get it. Um, next thing is we need to teach specific actions, tasks, skills that are not already known. Like if there's certain things they just don't know how to do, we'll teach them. And finally, we'll create processes and document procedures for the things that fall through the cracks. 
So let's say we have an auto repair shop whose clients are primarily young women, either because of the geographic area we live in or because that's just who we're trying to attract. Like that's our ideal client. That's who we want to target in our industry. We want to go after these people because we think we can provide a better experience than our competition. We would have to identify and explain to our employees that our customers likely feel guarded or vulnerable at an auto repair shop. Like young women, whether you agree with this or not, doesn't matter. Whether you think they're reasonable fears or not, doesn't matter. There's plenty of stories to substantiate those feelings. Young women going to an auto repair shop is going to, generally speaking, create feeling of, of angst, of uh, vulnerability, of concern, of, oh my gosh, I hope they don't rip me off. I've never done this before. It's super scary. Like all kinds of feelings would go along with that. And it would be ideal. We would need to teach our employees that our customers are going to have these feelings. And part of what our uh, process is, is taking them from that point to feeling confident and not feeling, feeling vulnerable and being trusting that we're not going to take advantage of them and th that whole thing. So if we own an auto repair shop whose clients are primarily young women, again, doesn't matter why, geographic location or because that's who we're trying to, trying to attract, we would have to identify and explain to our employees that our customers have these feelings when they go to an auto repair shop. We would also have to explain that taking good care of these customers includes demonstrating that they can trust us to overcome those feelings of vulnerability and further explaining that establishing this trust is vital. Now we're at the why. Why does this matter? Establishing this trust is vital to separate us from our competition and to get more word of mouth referrals. If that's our ideal client and we're going to nail it for them, the reason why is because we're going to separate ourselves from our competition. So every young woman who's a, who owns a car in our area is going to come to our shop instead of somebody else's. And if we ascertain that our team is not proficient as proficient as we would like in the mechanics of explaining things thoroughly without coming across in a condescending way, we might decide to do some training around that. We might do some scripting. We might do some role-playing. In any case, we would, we would provide training to teach the skills not naturally known. Then we would create a process or procedure to capture the specific items we learn of falling through the cracks. So maybe we find that our team of uh, auto repair mechanics is regularly missing the mark on thoroughly, ex thoroughly explaining how to perform regular maintenance on the vehicle, like how to check the oil and other fluids or how to check the tire pressure and other pertinent items, like how you give a visual, what's a tire supposed to look like when it's um, uh, not flat, like you know those kinds of things that, that we just find out that they're missing the mark on that. So we might create a specific procedure to walk them through that. That would make perfect sense here. Say, hey, you know what? We've identified we're doing really well on some other things. One thing we're not doing quite as well as we'd like is this one thing. We're going to create a procedure on that. That would make perfect sense here. But in our example, we would not have spent a bunch of time creating procedures for things like uh, taking before and after photos of the repair, for example. If that's one of the things, like, they might just naturally get that. They might naturally get using language that doesn't come across in a condescending way or not rushing through the explanation of the necessary repairs and costs. Because our team understands that our goal is to help our ideal client overcome their feeling of vulnerability, they might nail those things, and we don't ever have to create a procedure for those. Now, does that mean you won't ever want to document all of your pertinent processes? Of course not. You know I'm a big fan of that. Of course you'll someday want to do that. I strongly recommend you do. But I would do that in the most efficient way possible, which is starting with the big pieces first. I, you'll hear me say this a lot, big blocks first. Then work your way down to the details. Once they know that this is our ideal client, this is what we're, the journey we're taking them on, this is why it matters we nail this stuff, they will naturally get many more things correctly 
We train the things that they don't know, and we write procedures for the things that fall through the gaps. That is the most efficient way, and 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 you can take your time on writing procedures. You're not firefighting. You're not you're not overwhelmed with the number of these things you got to do. You can kind of once people understand what the big pieces are and the goals are, they can help you write the procedures. It's awesome. It's fant- it's a fantastic plan. So the first thing we got to do is know that when it comes to creating, documenting, improving process and procedures, there's three ways to do it. The random approach, we really screwed up and let the customer down, or we had a bigger big risk, or we a, a, a catastrophic financial penalty for you know we really you know, insurance or damage or whatever it is. Uh, whatever it is, we create a situation we don't ever want to experience again. Therefore, we're going to create this process or documented procedure. This method largely contributes to that feeling of, of feeling uh, like you're on the hamster wheel, like you're just churning things out, you're working your butt off, getting lots of stuff done, but you're just not making that much progress. There's also the bottom-up method, which is we're going to work on small wins, get those under our belt, work our way up to big problems as we get better at problem solving, and someday we're going to have this magic amount of time. We don't have that luxury right now, but someday, hopefully soon, We'll have the right number of people. We'll have that critical role filled. We'll, uh, time just won't be such a constraint for us. We'll have better, our team will be better trained, which will free up everybody's time. And I'm telling you, this is as predictable as the sun coming up tomorrow. Someday just never comes. Those things just don't happen. This method creates a feeling of hopelessness and overwhelm because you got so many of these things you got to get done. No matter what, the catalyst you're waiting for just doesn't happen. And there's just an infinite number of procedures you have to write. That, that feeling just... It's just going to take forever. Like you're never going to get out from underneath this beast. And that's really debilitating for some folks. And then finally, there's a method I implement and teach, which is a top-down method. Again, I completely made up these names. They're not any kind of official lingo that you'll find anywhere. I don't know. Maybe somebody else called it that too. But um, these are just names I call it. The first thing is to understand that those are the three methods. And the second thing, kind of 1A, would be which of those methods are are the ones you're using. which method is the one that you kind of default to? And for almost everybody, it's the uh, um, it's the emergency one. It's the firefighting one. We had a failure. We're going to write a procedure. We're having a problem. Write a procedure. And if I ask the employees, like, explain to me, like, the number one uh, emotional concern that your client has. They just would stare at me. Like, what do you think, the, aside from owning the car fixed, What's the number one concern this this customer has when it comes to making a buying decision with getting their car fixed? They will only understand the, the mechanics of the conversation related to the external problem, which is getting the car fixed. It will not, employees in those cases do not ever get, a, they don't only get taught. Like here's the, the emotional hurdles we're trying to overcome. Here's the emotional journey we're taking them on. They come in vulnerable, feeling vulnerable. We want them to feel trustworthy. They can trust us and confident. Employees can't explain that stuff. They had no chance at all of naturally and instinctively filling in the gaps. You have to, you, you just, you, these procedures, when you write procedures in that way, they, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of do it, but they won't understand why. And just, they, they won't help you fill in the gaps. It's, um, it's, um, it's really debilitating to do it that way. So uh, again, I just recommend understand those are the three ways. Identify which one is your kind of go-to and then choose which one you want. I mean, if you want one of those other ones, then do it. But I would recommend the one that's way more efficient. Uh, again, super simplified explanation of the top-down strategy. Educate our employees about the overall goal. What are we trying to accomplish? What's the journey we're taking the customer on? What's the, what's the, the point of this? What are we trying to do? Why does it matter? Sometimes they'll know. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes it'll be an aha thing. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Once you explain it, it makes perfect sense. 
train them on specific actions, skills, behaviors, objectives, whatever that they, they are necessary for them to know that they don't already know to reach the goal, and then create processes and procedures for those specific tasks and actions that are not instinctively or naturally performed, those things that fall through the cracks. And again, the example, taking your kid to the park, you tell them it's cold outside, we're going to the park, they're naturally going to throw on a coat probably. They're naturally going to throw on their warm boots probably. Going on vacation, you would never in a million years focus on the details of packing or any of that stuff if you didn't figure out where the heck you were going. You, 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 couldn't, you could not make dinner that way. I defy you to make dinner without first deciding what you're going to make. So when you face a, a performance challenge, a failure, a situation you don't want to go through again, the default move should not be to write a procedure. The first step is to make sure the team understands the goal. What are we trying to accomplish? What's the journey we're taking the customer on? What's the risk we're trying to avoid? What's the benefit for the customer, the coworkers, the company? Then the next step is explain to them why the goal matters. If they don't know, explain it. Then we teach specific actions that are not naturally known. And finally, then we create the procedures. So that is absolutely the method I recommend. It's much more efficient. It's much more fun, frankly. Um, it's much more intuitive for the employees. When the employees feel like they get it, they just naturally knock it out of the park way more often than when they 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 get the the details, but they don't get the big picture. Like super hard for anybody to thrive in that situation where they where they the details are just hammered across, you know, hammered into their head, but they can't explain the point. They can't explain what we're trying to accomplish overall. They can't explain why this matters. It's way more difficult to expect people, or way more difficult to get the performance you want. And it's super unlikely to get the performance you want from people who can't explain the overarching goal and why it matters. So, uh, as always, my plea to please share this podcast with a friend or colleague who's a business owner in the service industry. Um, and if you haven't had a chance yet, please give us a rating review. Those of you who have, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you all stopping by. Again, it takes less than like 90 seconds to throw a quick review on there. It takes like four seconds to put a, a five-star rating. So if you haven't done that, at least... Uh, do that for us. It'd be awesome. In the podcast world, that's how you grow these things. And that's how you grow your audience to get attention is those reviews and ratings and shares and all that kind of stuff. So pretty pleased with sugar on top. If you have a minute, just uh, share this podcast with a friend or uh, colleague or give us a rating review. And that's it for this week. And I'll see you all next week. <laughs>